the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. 602-508-0960. So this is a year anniversary right now today, March 11th, of the declaration of the Wuhan virus being a pandemic. And just as I was questioning the wisdom of the Department of Defense in expending time and resources, including a press release they issued earlier today denouncing Tucker Carlson, um, thinking maybe they have more important things to do. I could show them a border or two. Um, I also question um, the wisdom of Anthony Fauci giving every interview ever asked of him. The ubiquity of Anthony Fauci um, seems to me maybe he should spend a little less time on camera and a little less time in front of the microphone and a little more time researching and becoming an expert at things. Um, There's a new interview up by CNBC um, where Anthony Fauci says, I've got to tell you, the reason I get more humble as the years go by is because I realized how much I don't know. Well, why are we listening to him? Why are we listening to a man who's admitting about how much he doesn't know? So he's asked about SARS-CoV-2. Quote, when you're dealing with virgin territory, you have to make adjustments. Be flexible enough and humble enough to know what you may need to essentially modify what you've said before. All of those things that you've really got to realize that are there and you say, yeah, I should have really figured that one out. Big Brains is the name of the podcast he said this on. When you don't have the data, make it very explicit so that no one gets any misinterpretation that you are saying something that is possible, maybe likely, but you do not know for sure. Is that the Anthony Fauci we were led to believe or he led us to believe was the Anthony Fauci? Make it very explicit that no one gets any misinterpretation that you are saying something that is possible, maybe likely, but you don't know for sure. Is the Anthony Fauci of the last year someone who said, I realize how much I don't know? Or were we told that if you contradict Anthony Fauci, you are, in the parlance of our time, a Neanderthal or a denier of science or a COVID denier? Is that the phrase, a COVID denier? That's a COVID denier. You don't follow the science. How do you follow the science is my question. When the leading scientist says, I realize how much I don't know, we're dealing with virgin territory, you make adjustments and you have to be humble enough to modify what you've said before, and you have to realize that, yeah, I should have figured that out. There's some things out there that we don't know for certain, and you have to be humble enough to explain to people none of this is certainty. None of this is certainty. I thought we had to live or die by what Anthony Fauci said. Now, I think he's a joke. 
I think he's a big, bad farce that was perpetrated on the He may have been good at one point, but when you go and hold yourself out as the expert and you're throwing out baseballs at the beginning of the season and you are posing for glossy magazine covers as some kind of uh, modern-day Hollywood starlet or sex symbol, and you take all these accolades and you insert yourself in the politics between the president of the United States and other advisors who contradict you because they contradict you. This is not humility, as he says. This is not flexibility, as he says. This is not virgin terror. He's the expert. That's what we were told to believe. He's the science. He's the scientist. And yet... Shall we rehash some of his greatest hits one year from now? There's a point to what I'm doing here, and it's not to embarrass Anthony Fauci. There is a point here. Bear with me. Play me the greatest hits of Anthony Fauci, please. Bottom line, we don't have to worry about this one, right? Well, you know, obviously you need to take it seriously and do the kinds of things that the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security are doing But this is not a major threat for the people in the United States. And this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. We'd be changing our habits. And if so, how? No, right now, at this moment, there is no need to change anything that you're doing on a day by day basis. I don't think this is something that the United States public should be worried or frightened about. Mm -hmm. I think the risk is very low right now for the United States. Right now in the United States. People should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it? Because people are listening really closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better. And it might even block a, a droplet. But it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying Uh, uh, inside uh, uh, there? Of course, of course. So we go from don't wear a mask to wear a mask to wear two masks. And we're supposed to trust this man as the scientist. See, that's the funny thing about science. Maybe some smart person will call in and tell me I'm wrong about this. But generally, when you use the scientific method, there's a certainty of things that don't change, which is why it's always been, you know, a certain form of of criticism to call someone a science denier. Because we think of, you know, certain properties of science that hold no matter what. Newton's law of physics, for example. Newton's law of gravity, for example. The earth is not flat, for example. Um These are things that shouldn't change. Now, all of us realize that this was a novel virus. It was called that, the novel coronavirus. It was new to all of us. But why was he given so much credibility, given how wrong he was about so many things, and people who questioned him were Neanderthals? Here's my point. Early on... I wrote a series of op-eds for Fox News with William Bennett. Here's the first one we wrote, published March 24th, a year ago. 
President Donald Trump has called the efforts to combat COVID-19 our big war. He has referred to himself as a wartime president and of his administration efforts as a war against the virus. Last week, he spoke of the virus, the virus as an invisible enemy. And to provide confidence as well as calm, he also iterated many times that this will not be forever. He tweeted, quote, we cannot let the cure be worse than the problem. Still, state and local governments are also engaging with warlike statements by governors and mayors, several of whom have, entered, have issued shelter-in-place orders, quarantines, and travel bans. More will soon join. Where businesses have not been ordered to close by governors, they have been greatly restricted. The National Guard has been mobilized and bailouts have been proposed in the trillions of dollars. Food and supplies are being both rationed and hoarded. And the president is criticized hourly for doing too much and not enough at the same time. For those who did not live through World War II, this is a small window into what America looks like when it goes to war. Or is it? The word is deployed, deployed and quickly civil liberties, including travel, are being curbed while the economy is melting fast. But the U.S. military is not invading anywhere. Artillery is not being fired. Ordnance is not being dropped. This is all the domestic attributes of war with much of life disrupted and an economy put in abeyance. But we know it's not really a war. Not really. And our response is disproportionate. We have had other non-kinetic wars before. Earlier, we heard a lot about the war on drugs, a full-scale effort that involved enforcement, prevention, and treatment. Perhaps war was a good word, perhaps not, but the efforts were aimed at a problem that took the lives of some 870,000 Americans over the last several decades, with the U.S. congratulating itself for reducing drug deaths to 67,000 in 2019. In the effort against illegal drugs, we never even contemplated doing the variety of things we are doing now. Maybe there never really was a war on drugs. Certainly not like this one. To paraphrase Heather MacDonald, we have engaged in the volitional destruction of the economy and caused unbridled panic over a number we don't know we will reach but most think will not surpass certain combined deaths of other things we have waged war against flu traffic deaths opioid deaths drug overdoses and accidents as well as heart disease we are being disproportionate the measures being undertaken now will have far-reaching and potentially disastrous consequences we need to be attentive to isolation as potentially more dangerous than normal life leading to more suicide more opioid abuse and more domestic abuse. Endemics, we have waged other wars on. The op-ed goes on, but who was more right? 87,000 opioid de- drug overdose deaths this year. Two years ago, it was 67,000. Have you ever heard Anthony Fauci talk about any of those problems? Suicide, opioid, isolation, dangers to normal life? I haven't. Back when uh, Bill Bennett and I wrote that op-ed about what a sane society needs to ask itself in response to a novel virus, we, um, we were engaging in all these shutdowns and all these hoardings and all this panic over something I've forgotten in rereading this op-ed from a year ago. The fatality rate of the disease at that time we thought was 1.2%. We did that at 1.2%. It is a lot lower than that. It's a 99.9% 
rate of survival. And, as a lot of us had been pointing out, to very little result, 80% of those hospitalized or worse are overweight and obese. Steve Moore at the time, we quoted him in our op-ed a year ago, wrote, We have gone from a crisis from an active nature to a crisis that is man-made from the stupidity of shutting down all of our engines. I don't know how serious this virus will be, but I do know if the economy stays paralyzed, the carnage will be in the trillions of dollars. The health impact alone from bankruptcies, unemployment, and isolation will be worse than than the disease. I have never heard, and if someone wants to point out where I'm wrong here, I will accept it. But I have never heard Anthony Fauci talk about suicide, drug abuse, and domestic abuse, and other endemics we have waged war on. I've never heard him talk about that. I have heard the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services under Trump, Eleanor McCants-Gatz, talk about it. I've heard Donald Trump talk about cures worse for the, than the disease. I heard... Uh, in fact, had an interview with Ben Carson, who is the Secretary of Health and Human Services, talk about it. No, I'm sorry. He was the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, talk about it. I, but I also had the Secretary, Alex Azar, of Health and Human Services on this show to talk about it. I had every cabinet official relevant to this disease on this show talking about these things. Every one of them. I have not heard Anthony Fauci talk about it. But he's the one we're to follow. Over 80,000 drug overdose deaths when we were celebrating getting them down to 67,000. Think about that. When Joe Biden talks about looking across the kitchen table, I wonder if he'll talk about that tonight. When he talks about looking across the kitchen table at breakfast and finding that empty chair there, I wonder if he'll ever contemplate talking about the empty chair due to a suicide or drug overdose. I don't think he will. No, I don't think he will. There's only one privileged cause of death that gets his attention right now. And it's a shame because it's been mismanaged. And if you need any evidence as to the mismanagement, any evidence at all, look at Florida. Look at South Dakota. Look at Texas. It is a dramatic irony that the initial heroes of COVID were Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom and Anthony Fauci. Fauci has been proven to just be wrong a lot. Newsom is being recalled and Cuomo is under investigation from the Department of Justice. While his mayor calls on him, the mayor of New York City calls on him to resign over sexual predatory behavior. Think about who the media makes heroes of and ask if they're such great heroes. Dave is in surprise. Hi, Dave. Uh, thanks for taking the call, sir, teacher. I always appreciate the show. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Can, can I throw out one slightly different perspective on who the, the real heroes of COVID were at the beginning? Yeah, but before you do, let me guess as to who the real heroes of COVID were. Okay. I'm trying to guess who you're... Well, I don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead. This will shock you, but I posted this very early on. 
if Killer Cuomo and the other five governors would have followed the steps that Jay Inslee, who's a liberal among liberals, followed, deaths would have been greatly decreased nationwide. Do you remember February? I believe it was the King's Retirement Home where the first outbreak was? In Washington State, right? Sir, yes, sir. Right. I remember people saying this started in New York, and they were wrong. It started in Washington State, actually, right? But but Jay Inslee, I think, did the right thing, and we all talked about it for months after that. Remind me. My memory is not great on it. Protect the vulnerable. Shut down the nursing home. Right. Zero access to anybody coming in or out. Right. That's all. Right. Don't send infected patients back in. Lock them down. Pull the sick out. Attend to them separately. Keep everybody else as safe as you can. But I think the challenge with Fauci and the rest of them, and, and I don't call them a political party. I call them absolutists because absolutely any death is a tragedy, and they need to mitigate anything to prevent that one death, unfortunately, at the, re- at the cost of the rest of the economy. But the, the challenge with them is they, they play it so that when they're right, they're right, and when they're wrong, they say, well, I'm not wrong because you didn't follow my steps. Right. You weren't right. aggressive enough. Right, we weren't aggressive enough. my lockdown. Yeah, it's the same thing with communism. We didn't try it uh, in, in full, right? We, it, wasn't, it was imperfectly tried, right? <laughs> it's the perfect philosophy. I don't know why you guys can't just confiscate everybody's means of production. <laughs> it's easy to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in, I, I'm willing to look at that, but uh, but you're right. Why he you haven't heard much from him? He has not made himself a superstar. I remember he ran for president a little bit, but that ended before the COVID crisis, didn't it? I think it did. It did. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm willing to look at it. Well, and and another challenge I have, Seth. I hope you let me expand on this a bit. Um, and and I've said early on. I think we've spoken about it a couple times. I'm not sure where Jerome Adams and Fauci were when we were locked up two weeks to slow the spread, knowing that we had to deal with comorbidities. Why didn't they advise all of us while we were at home doing Zoom meetings, spend eight hours in your backyard, six to 12 feet away from people, do some push-ups, some sit-ups, and some jumping jacks, deal with your comorbidities? So, Dave, I, I totally agree with you. And I think it was insanity on stilts to close down the gyms. It was one of the worst things you could have done. I mean, working out on a regular basis improves your health, improves your immune system, reduces the problem of obesity, obviously, increases all kinds of defense mechanisms, uh, immunological defenses. And we did – on this show, I'm proud to say, if I don't mind – and I'm going to keep you over if you have more to say. I, I'm happy to um, keep you over as I head into a break. I had doctors like Jasser and Fonchus, uh, local physicians here on, talking about those very things. Fonchus had that great Facebook post saying, the CDC has guidelines on obesity too. Why am I watching people with masks in grocery stores picking up, you know, potato chips and cookies and sodas and it's just insanity. The CDC has guidelines on obesity. Obesity kills hundreds of thousands of Americans a year. We didn't remove those instrumentalities. We removed the instrumentalities to deal with it, like gyms. 
insane. As Zudi points out, sick people don't work out anyway. It was a self-policing mechanism at the gyms. If you're sick, you don't, you know. Dave, you can, you can weigh in more when we come back. Raymond, don't go away. That looks like a great call, too. We'll be right back. I was just talking about uh, – Dave, are you still there? Hold on if you are. You're, you still there, Dave? I am, sir. Yes, sir. L- listen to this. I just have to interject this on the point of gyms and the insanity. Uh, so my producer, Bill, widely known to this audience, uh, sprints, likes to sprint. And there's a, um, uh, a public track, running track. Is that what you call it, running track? At my local community college, yes. Yeah, that he uses or used to run on. And it closed for COVID. Tell the story, Bill. Oh, thank you, Seth. It's been closed for about nine or ten months now. And I called and got a hold of the athletic director, and I asked, you know, I asked when might the track be reopened. And she gave me a kind of a prepared talking point that she obviously had ready for something like this that goes something like, because of the danger of COVID-19, we're working hard to get spring sports to happen for our students in our community. And I said, those are great talking points, but it's been closed now for about eight months when I called. Uh, So is there a specific standard or measure for when reopening can happen? And she said, in in an answer to a question no one asked, if I open it for you, I'd have to open it for everyone. So I said, uh, so so you don't trust people to stay six feet away from each other while running outdoors on a track? And she repeated the talking point, point more angrily this time. Uh, we're working hard to get spring sports to happen for our students and our community. And that was when I said in a, a reverse George Costanza-like moment, you know, jerk story, he never thought of the right thing in the right moment. I said something like, well, thanks for your time. This really shows how an unaccountable bureaucracy works. Right, because the idea of running outside would be about the best thing you can do short of any other medicine you could take. And the community college that you pay for deprives you, and to this day, a year into it, has deprived people, the community, of being able to use it. Okay, so you can run on the streets. It's not the same. Anyway, Dave, this is the madness we're dealing with. Well, yeah, we've talked about it multiple times, Seth. I think a lot of people share my sentiment. The worst thing government did was to punish our learners. They're they're the most important thing we have in the community. We need, to, we need to foster their development and for them to not be able to go into class. Now, maybe they had a teacher with a comorbidity. Let's set her up with Zoom out of her apartment. Yeah, there are ways house. to handle that. Do you know how many parents would volunteer to be physically in that classroom while the teacher Zooms in? All uh, of them, more, almost. More, more than they could deal with. Right, more than they could. Exactly right. More life. than they could deal with. Right, that's the Absolutely. right answer. But, and the key to this whole thing you mentioned at the beginning of the segment was Fauci. I would love to have failed up, to have not done what I needed to do for this pandemic. And originally he was hired as the AIDS cure. It's been 40 years. Where has he gotten on AIDS? And we keep giving him our most important assignments and he makes more money than the president. It's a joke. I'd love to fail up that that eye. Only in government can you do that. I remember Warren Christopher. Do you remember Warren Christopher? He was the secretary of state to Bill Clinton. In the 60s, Johnson hired him to ensure that there wouldn't be race riots. And in the 70s and 80s, he was hired 
to make sure that L.A. wouldn't have race riots. And he was dispatched to quell and calm things during the Rodney King riots. And then he became Secretary of State to create Middle East peace. He failed at every single thing, every single thing, and just got bigger and bigger job opportunities. Only in the government, Dave, only in the government. It's a tyranny of its own. Anyway, we're in fierce agreement. Thank you for your call. Raymond's in Scottsdale. Hi, Raymond. Hello. <laughs> this, you were talking about the 60s and 70s with Warren Christopher. Let's go back to the 13th century Thomas Aquinas. Okay, Summa Theologica? Yeah, he, no, he offered uh, four principles for just warfare. And okay, this, this was war. the uh, just said Bello and Justin Bellum I was talking about. Okay, okay. This is a, this is a war against COVID, mm-hmm. and uh, number one is it must be waged by a public authority for the common good. Right. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Number two, a just cause is required. Okay. All right. Number three, here we go. It must be fought with right intentions, and number four. The harm done by the war must not exceed the good that comes from it. That's great. There we go. That's great. So all we had to do was read our Aristotle and Aquinas, and that was really all the science we needed. Yep. Just wanted to share that with you. The problem, yeah. Well, I'm glad you did, and thank you for that, Raymond, because what you did is you highlighted. You highlighted a really important distinction in classical political philosophy, which is the fact-value distinction. That is to say, we ignore those values, and by doing so, we come up with our own facts. But you can't have a value-free social science. Throughout much of the uh, COVID pandemic in America, uh, people were, you know, throwing and weaponizing certain studies around and certain institutions' findings around at each other. Remember particularly a lot of people saying, well, according to Johns Hopkins, blah, 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 blah. Well, Johns Hopkins is an institute. Who at Johns Hopkins? As Don Rumsfeld liked liked to say, the Department of Defense is not a person. It is a thing. Who at the Department of Defense said that? Don't want to say the Department of Defense says. It's made up of hundreds of thousands of employees. Same with Johns Hopkins. Um, So one of, I think, the smarter people at Johns Hopkins, he's actually a physician to some people I know, is a professor of medicine there uh, named Marty McCurry. You sometimes see him on Fox News. He has a piece in the Wall Street Journal today. And it's really good. And he's been saying this kind of thing for a year. A year out, this is this is where we are, okay? The Center for Disease Control and Prevention has lost a lot of credibility during the COVID-19 pandemic by being late or wrong on testing, masks, vaccine allocation, and school reopenings. By the way, how many people weaponized the CDC against each other? Well, according to the CDC, da-da-da-da-da, you were shamed. Staying consistent with that pattern, this week, three months after the vaccine rollout began, the CDC finally started telling vaccinated people that they can have normal interactions with other vaccinated people, but only in highly limited circumstances. Given the impressive effectiveness of the vaccine, that should have been immediately obvious by applying scientific inference and common sense. 
Parts of the new guidelines are absurd. For example, the CDC didn't withdraw its advice to avoid air travel after vaccination. A year of pre-vaccine experience has demonstrated that airplanes already are not a source of the spread. A study conducted for the Defense Department found that commercial planes have HEPA filtration and airflow that exceed the standards of hospital operating rooms. Did you know that? You did not know that. The guidelines do approve of vaccinated people meeting with low-risk unvaccinated ones, but only with people from the same household and in small private settings. So much for restaurants, birthday parties, and weddings or funerals. An unpublished study conducted by Pfizer and the, in, and the Israeli Health Ministry showed that vaccination reduces transmission up to 94%, by 89 to 94%, and almost totally prevented hospitalization and death. Immunity kicks in fully about four weeks after the first vaccine dose, and then you're essentially bulletproof. With the added safety of wearing a mask indoors for a few more weeks or months, a practical necessity in public places, even if not a medical one, since you can't tell on site if someone's immune, there is a little a vaccinated person should be discouraged from doing. There is a little a vaccination a vaccinated person should be doing, should be discouraged from doing. On a positive note, the CDC did say that fully vaccinated people who are asymptomatic don't need to be tested. But that obvious recommendation should have come two months ago. Can I do that again? The CDC said that fully vaccinated people who are asymptomatic don't need to be tested. You think it's a joke. I'm laughing. It's not. It's not funny. People take this stuff seriously. In its guidance, the CDC says that risks of infection and vaccinated people, quote, cannot be completely eliminated. True. We don't have conclusive data that guarantees vaccination brings the risk to zero. We never will, ever. We're operating in the realm of medical discretion based on the best available data, as practicing physicians have always done. The CDC highlights the vaccine's stunning success, but it ridiculously cautions about its implications. Public health officials focus myopically on transmission risk while all but ignoring the broader health Crisis stemming from isolation. The CDC acknowledges potential risks of isolation. It never mentions the details. It's time to liberate vaccinated people to restore their relationships and rebuild their lives. That would encourage vaccination by giving hesitant people a a vivid incentive to have the shots. I've been saying that. If you want to disincentivize people from being vaccinated, keep listening to the government who tell you you have to get vaccinated, but you can't alter your behavior. Throughout the pandemic, authorities have missed the mark on precautions. Hospitals blocked family members from being with their loved ones as they gasped for air, gagging on a ventilator tube, what some patients describe as the worst feeling in the world. In addition to the power of holding a hand, family members coordinate care and serve as a valuable safety net a partnership that was badly needed when many hospitals had staffing shortages. Separating family members was excessive and cruel, driven by narrow thinking that focused singularly on reducing viral transmission, heedless of the harm to the quality of human life. As people yearn to be with their loved ones and rebuild communities, let's not repeat these mistakes. We cannot exaggerate the public health threat as we did with hospital visitation rules and keep crushing the human spirit 
with overly restrictive policies for vaccinated Americans. Loneliness is now a new public health crisis. In pre-COVID times, it was estimated that one-fifth of America struggled with loneliness, a figure that has multiplied faster than research, research has been able to measure. We were reminded of this last week in a health study that revealed self-harm among kids increased as much as 300% last year in some parts of the country. Future research will find that harms of isolation are greater than is understood today. Some experts selectively appeal to common sense when it comes to using discretion. Anthony Fauci said it was common sense to wear two masks at once. I, too, will invoke common sense to answer the big questions so many are asking. What am I allowed to do after I've been vaccinated? Here's the answer. Once a month has passed, go back to normal. That's Johns Hopkins. If I can take a moment of personal privilege and um, wish who we colloquially refer to as the Kentucky woman on this show, our friend Debbie Moak, a very happy birthday today. She is the dearest friend anyone could have and the dearest friend our states and nation's children could have, saving more lives than uh, almost any other institution out of a single person I can think of. I want to... uh, Thank our mutual friend, Karen, who introduced us. I did not know Debbie. I was on a hike with my friend, Karen, who said, do you know Debbie Moak? I said, no. She said, well, my gosh, talking to you sounds like I'm talking to her. You guys need to meet each other. And she gave me Debbie's number, and I called her. She wasn't in state. She was on travel. And we spent two hours on that first phone call. Debbie Moak founded, co-founded the organization Not My Kid. She's worked in the governor's office of Youth, Faith, and Family and um, has dedicated her life to, as she would say, saving as many children as possible. She's one of the most sought-after experts on youth and prevention issues. And she, to me, is just one of the dearest friends, as I said. Aristotle defines a friend as someone who makes you a better person. And um, she has made me, through our friendship, a better person. She has made this state and every state she works in a better place. And I'll dedicate uh, what was found on Mother Teresa's wall in Calcutta to her. But they are the paradoxical commandments. Give the world the best you have is their conclusion. You may get kicked in the teeth, but give the world the best you have. Because in the end, in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and anyone else anyway. God bless you and happy birthday, Debbie Moak. And um, I speak for everyone who's ever known you or had contact with you on how privileged and delighted we are that God gave you birth on this day. Until tomorrow, God bless you all and class dismissed.